Welcome to the Complete Sinner's Guide. This is the show where we, sinners like yourself, come together to discuss the theology, the biblical things. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible. You just have to have a passion and a willingness to understand. My name is Noah Chalai. I'm delighted to be here with you. Your host, as always, my friend, Tyler Fowler. Welcome to the program, man. What is going on, brother? How you doing? I'm doing great. So this is going to be an exciting discussion. You know, you and I have, obviously, we have ongoing discussion throughout the week on what we're going to talk about on the program and, and our general spiritual growth. And I, I believe that we kind of help each other out from time to time as it relates to that. And so one of the things that you and I had talked about is you said, you know, what things are you passionate about? You know, you don't always chime on when we're talking about these things and you seem to appreciate the discussion, but it's not something you're super passionate about. And my answer to you was, well, the thing that I am the most passionate about is modern day church and where that has gotten us because Tyler, the problem that we face is and i have a and don't get me wrong i have uh, uh friends from all different walks of life and all different walks of religion but the truth is the fastest growing religion on the face of the planet is islam and yep. the the declining faith in christianity to me is very alarming and the reason that it's so alarming to me is because we have reached a point where I don't believe we are spitting out new Christians as fast and as and as passionately as we were in the past. The amount of people that I meet on a day-to-day basis or encounter in my day-to-day life that, quote-unquote, go to church, as if that's some sort of, you know, mechanical thing that is going to get you saved is... It's quite... Frankly, it's, it's frightening. The amount of people that attend church on Christmas, attend church on Easter... So they can feel connected and close to God. That is the very opposite of what a creator who wants the most intimate relationship possible with every each and every one of us. It, it is it's just the entire opposite. The idea that I would build a, a relationship with my wife by seeing her twice a year, three times a year, thinking about her two, twice a year, or making a commitment for her twice or three times a year is ridiculous. And the idea it's that horrible, I... Isn't it? Well, it's... Uh, honestly, man, it's equally... As ridiculous as saying that if I make a if I set aside a day every single week to do some structured activity, even though I'm not really paying attention to her, I'm texting on my phone or I'm reading a book or I'm, I really just go there for the food or whatever. The idea that I'm going to build a meaningful for a relationship with my wife is absurd. Right. And, and and so when I start to look at that, I look at my own journey, my own spiritual journey. And I, and I grew up in a very small church um, and the, the church that I grew up in. They were filled with some of the most God-fearing, Bible, you know, following people you'll ever meet in your entire life. To this day, I would introduce anybody to uh, uh, to my former church and 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 sit them down and have them have a discussion with anybody in that church, and I'll bet you the vast majority of people in that church could wipe the floor up and down, biblically theology speaking. Right? They have their beliefs back backwards and forwards, upwards and down, rights and left. I mean, they have it down, right? And at the same time that I grew up in such a ch- in a church where there was such a passion to follow the letter of Christ, I also grew up in a church in which the overall message, the overall love of Jesus, and the example of Jesus was rarely, if ever, demonstrated. Right? Um, right? Exercises would be something like invite your friends to church so we can teach them the truth about the Bible. It's not go out and love your neighbor. Go out and love the other people around there, and don't don't 
tell them what the Bible says specifically, show them what the Bible says. And then when they naturally have questions as to why you live the life the way that you do and why you do the things that you do, make sure they understand where your true motivation comes from. And one of the stories, and I know I've shared it with you personally, I don't think we've ever talked about it here on the air. One of the examples that was given by a pastor that I consider to hold a very high regard with a great balance between um, between grace and and the law, love and the law, and following the law. And the, the, the story that he gives, true story from the best of my understanding, is that there was a couple that were married for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and through the course of their marriage, um, this woman struggled with the fact that her husband was in the military, and as part of the military, he had developed a demeanor that was not conducive to a, a loving relationship. And so he would make checklists every morning that she had to follow, starting at about 4.30 in the morning. She would have to get up at 4.30. By 5 o'clock, you'll be up and you'll be showering. By 5.30, you'll be out of the shower and you'll be in the kitchen. By 5.30 to 6, you'll begin preparing breakfast. At 6 o'clock, you'll go down and you'll iron my shirts and have all of these laid out. And, you know, he had this entire checklist. All Her entire day was planned out from start to finish. And in his mind, and this is one of the things, if you haven't read the book, the, is it The Seven Love Languages? Is that the name of it? Um, yeah, yeah. It's a mm-hmm. fantastic I, book and, and, and really, exp- five love languages, excuse me, by Gary Chapman. I highly recommend it. Yep. It's, it's a fantastic book that will give you insight into the human psyche and um, people's ability to love because people understand love in different ways and people express love in different ways. And when you can understand that and when you embrace that and you learn to uh, to use that to your advantage. That's where there's some real power in. In any case, this military gentleman who was gifted in the ways of organization and compartmentalization and structure and order uh, was not necessarily gifted in the way that his wife appreciated love. And uh, so after 15 or 20 years of struggling through this uh, checklist regimented lifestyle, uh, he unfortunately passed away. And while she was sad for the grieving loss of her husband, there was a certain amount of relief that was associated with his death because no longer was she confined to these very restrictive and, and what she believed very oppressive checklists. And so uh, a few months later, she met another gentleman and uh, within a few years, they had developed a relationship and eventually ended up getting married. And so on her second marriage, this one was a very, he was a very different kind of man and he expressed love in a very different way. And his way of expressing love was to be very passionate and to be uh, very emotional and very emotionally available and very physical. Um, and she appreciated that and realized how much she really loved her new husband and how she felt in love with her husband. And even though she was devoted and dedicated to her first husband, she couldn't get enough of her second husband. She wanted to be around him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She wanted to follow him around like a puppy dog because he was that pleasant of a person to be around. And he he fulfilled the second part of her life. And she, she couldn't imagine life without him. And uh, one day she's up in the attic and she's cleaning out the attic so they could move to produce more storage up there. And she comes across one of these old boxes that contained one of these old checklists. And immediately she shuddered and kind of got a bad feeling uh, all around herself and kind of thought to herself, what a terrible portion of my life. He was a great guy, but that was the one thing that just drove me nuts. She started reading through the checklist. 4.30, you wake up. Well, I guess I still wake up at 4.30. 5 o'clock, you'll be in the shower. Well, it only takes me about a half an hour to get up, so I guess I am in the shower about 5, well, 5.02 sometimes, 5 o'clock roughly. Get out of the shower by 5.30. I'll never shower more than that, you know. Go down and make me breakfast. Well, I still make them breakfast. Iron sh- she turns out she follows this entire checklist almost to, to a T. So she starts to think to herself, self, look at this. My old husband has programmed me, and I haven't been able to break free of the programming. Look at how oppressive. And then she starts to think about it. No. No, because even when we're on vacation, even when... 
I'm not paying attention to it. I still do those things. I just do them in a slightly different order in a slightly different timetable. Mm-hmm. And so as you started to analyze, why is it that I've never once outlined a checklist or a schedule for myself, and yet I have done all of these things for my second husband? And then the answer caused her to break into tears. And of course, the answer was she was no longer doing these things out of a, out of a routine checklist or out of some sort of, uh, out of some sort of desire to earn the approval of her husband. Now, she was doing them out of love. She was doing them out of compassion. She didn't want her husband to go to work hungry, so she made him breakfast. She didn't want his her husband to go to work in clothes that weren't ironed or weren't washed properly, so she washed them. She wanted to be able to say goodbye to her husband because she'd miss him all day. So she wanted to be up earlier than he was so that she could get ready first and be ready to, to help him throughout his day. And then once he went to his day, all she could do about was think about how she could maximize the m- amount of time that they could spend when he got home. And so that meant going to the grocery store and prepping for dinner and getting all of the kids things ready and making sure that when they came home, there was an organized fashion for the kids to do their homework and stuff. And so they could go to bed on time and she'd have the maximum amount of time to spend with her husband. And the, the moral of that story is in one example, a person is living for love and acceptance. They do things and they act in a specific way for the sole purpose of living for Love and acceptance. In the second scenario, the important thing to understand there is she is living from love and acceptance because her husband loves her and accepts her exactly the way she is, faults and all, sin and all, everything out there in the open, the ugly true self, not the self that you put on Facebook, not the self that you put on Twitter, your true self, your intimate self, the real you, that person is who her husband loved. And I think as human beings, one of the things that we really struggle with is we struggle on a human level to understand how a God can love people like ourselves that are so terrible and commit so many bad things and routinely do so many bad things, things that wouldn't be 10% of which would not be tolerated by our closest friend or our closest relative, right? And at the same time, we are then told inside of church and and through the Bible and through every example that Christ has given us that no matter what we do, God accepts us exactly the way we are and he loves us exactly the way we are. Now, does that mean that God endorses sin? Does that mean that God compromises on his values because and you've heard this before, right? From friends who say, "Well, that's just the way he is. That's just the way she is." Right? No, no, of course not. God doesn't accept the sin. But God accepts the sinner. God doesn't love the sin, but God loves the sinner. And as practicing Christians, I think this is the number one thing that we get wrong. And so when you ask me or when we have any kind of conversation where you ask me, what am I passionate about or what do I care about? This is it right here. I care about the fact that I watch us get this wrong time and time again. And for the last thousand years or so, we have lived in a society in which it's possible to get this wrong And either through fear or through uh, the legal system or through sheer power and force, we could sidestep the fact that people weren't doing this out of love and instead we're doing it for all sorts of reasons, right? And people like to pick on Catholics and people like to pick on Lutherans and people like to pick on Baptists and people like to – I mean you pick a denomination of Christianity and there's some other group out there picking on them. Oh, they're too cult-like. yeah. Or they're too, you know, they're too, they're too mainstream. They're too this. They're too that. You know, everybody wants to pick apart everybody else's belief. 
And I think the thing, Tyler, that we don't really center around is the fact that God never wanted diversity to begin with. God gave us one central thing to rally around, and we, as humans, as we often do, screwed the thing up. And we took this one central thing that we should all agree on, and we found every little tiny detail that we don't agree on. And then we go back and we rehash the entire Bible to try to find justifications for the little tiny things that we don't agree on so that we can talk about them and convince everybody else why they're wrong and point out why they're wrong and tell them that they're wrong and make sure to remind them that they're wrong, right? A a pastor, a good friend of mine who's a pastor, dealt with a very serious situation. The situation was something like this. I won't go into the name of the church. I won't go into the name of the pastor. I won't even go into, I'm going to make up a scenario just so that there's no correlation to real life because it's not the, it's not the specific scenario. It's the lesson I want us to take out of this. And the scenario was this, you had a church and the church was engaging in some sinful practices and endorsing sinful behavior and sinful practices. Now, a lot of the people that I grew up in, in a church, if there was another church, part of the same denomination or of the same you know, uh, of the same, uh, I guess we'll just say denomination, they would be, they'd get, again, they get turned around the axle trying to make sure that everybody knew that what this church is engaging in is sinful and it's wrong and it should be called out and blah, 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 and this, that, and the other, right? And this pastor who's a friend of mine who I believe to be of very high integrity and I have very high respect for his biblical views and the way that he approaches things, approached that situation with love and said, you know what? We're in the same denomination as this other church. And so it's part of the same conference, and um, what they're doing is sinful, and it's wrong, and we can agree on that or disagree on that, but biblically it's wrong. But we're not going to do anything about it. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to do anything. We're going to continue to spread the, the, the gospel and be an example of Jesus Christ, and hopefully the Holy Spirit, who is infinitely more powerful than we are as human beings, We'll fix that mess, and we're just going to let that happen, and we don't have to worry about it because God is powerful enough to work on that without us going in there and poking our fingers in people's eyes. They know what we think, and so going over there and telling them, hey, did you know this is sinful? And then That's not going to do anything. They already know, and so the only thing it would do is create disdain and animosity and hostility, and so we're not interested in doing that because that's not the example that Jesus you know, left, and so we're not going to do that. And the only time that this church took action was after the church who was engaged in sinful behavior uh, intentionally went to the, the, the conference chapter and said, we want to be officially endorsed that this is no longer our belief system and that this is wrong. At that point, they had no choice but to step up and go, no, sorry, we can't let that. We can't let it go that far. If you want to, if you want to lead your church in a direction that you think is, is right and we know is biblically incorrect— we're not look. We're not out hunting for sinners. That's not what it is. It's not a hunting permit, right? But if you we want, we don't have to look very far to find sinners. That's right. Like that. The mirror is really <laughs> as far as we need to go, right? <laughs> yeah. yep. So they didn't. They didn't do anything just based off of the sin alone. What they did was after they went to seek it to be established that they wanted to be officially recognized that this was not sinful behavior and that this was now accepted. That's when they drew the line and said, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." We'll give you an almost unlimited amount of grace because Christ showed us an unlimited amount of grace. We will give you not even one inch of compromise because Christ never showed one inch of compromise. And that, to me, was such a powerful example. And I, since here, learning of that story, I have tried to restructure the way that I look at Christianity, the way that I look at churches, the way that I look at other people— uh, 
inspired by that mentality that we are not out to hunt sinners we're not out to to find them and 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 beat them down and beat them up and kick them around and tell them how bad they are because they've done these terrible things that are horrible and sinful because the reality is they just chose a different flavor of sin than i chose they're not any better i'm not any better than those people and they're not any better than me we all fall short of the glory of the cross and so we all have to accept that we have a lot to answer for, much of it we don't deserve, and that all falls under grace. And I have everything from the input that I've tried to give to the show to, as the program director of the KEQQ radio station, the programs that I try to air and the people that I try to get on and the way that I try to enlighten and inspire content, all of those things are structured around this idea that the, the best way to attract flies is with honey, not with vinegar. That doesn't mean we compromise It means we acknowledge the fact that in 2019, with the advent of the Internet and the advent of smartphones and the advent of basically pornography on tap, every sin that you could imagine is very accessible and very easy and extremely fun. If sin wasn't fun and enjoyable and like pretty much the best human experience ever, we wouldn't do it. The reason it's so tempting, the reason sin is so powerful, the reason sin is so deadly is precisely because it is so awesome, it's so amazing, it's so enjoyable, it pushes every single human button that we find enjoyment and hits it home, right? And if you look at what the opposite is, the opposite of following God is what? The opposite of, the, the, the opposite of following God is, pla- is, uh, is sin. The opposite of sin is following God, and that looks like self-denial, self-control, obedience, surrender, all of the things that are not pleasant to us, right? The Bible says no discipline is pleasant at the time, but yields a, a, a field of righteous or a field of harvest. The, 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 uh, the idea here is that if you are willing to follow God and if you are willing to follow his plan, his plan is put in place specifically to help us. It's put in place specifically for our benefit. The, the amount of times that I've had a tight discussion with somebody and they will ask me something or we'll have a discussion. They'll say, well, do you, t- do you, do you, do you, Tyler, do you spend, uh, do you do the tithe off the, uh, off the net amount or after taxes? Like, <laughs> what, what difference does that make? Like, you're missing it. You're missing it. It's not a math equation. Like, Jesus is not up in heaven with, uh, with an accountant's book and a, calc- and a TI-85 calculator going through and going, she's now, you need 10% from this guy. And John has 10%. So that's actually because he makes this a year. So I think if we do this, then we'll have a balanced budget and heaven can continue to operate for 20. Like, that's not how it works. Tithing is not a mathematical equation. It's not there because Jesus needs some money to, I mean, yes, the kingdom needs money to operate, but that's not the purpose of tithing. The purpose of tithing is to make us generous people. The purpose of tithing is to teach us a lesson that it's good to be generous. And it's good to understand and accept and acknowledge that every dollar from the 10% to the 99% doesn't belong to us to begin with. It's God's money. We're just managing it. We're just, we're account managers. I own a small business, right? I own Speed Technologies. And in Speed Technologies, we spend a lot of money. You know, if we buy a server, it can be twenty, twenty-five, even $30,000. And when I, I don't make, I, I make the big decisions of like, we're going to do this thing, but I certainly don't have time to sit down and, you know, call Dell and work with the salespeople and, have some, and then, you know, they call back, and then we have 15 meetings, and we spec things out. I don't have time for all that, so I pay people to do it. I promise you, nobody has ever broken a sweat taking my credit card number and calling Dell 
and reading out the credit card number and spending however many tens of thousands of dollars on a server and ordering it for this company. And the reason that they don't mind is because it was never their money to begin with. I told them to buy a server. We decided which one we were going to buy. They get some discretion on specifically, you know, which model and which brand to work with and how, how to spec it out and stuff like that. So they, there's some discretion in there. But the bottom line is, is I want a server to solve this problem. I've made that demand to them. They have the company card and they go spend the money. And if I'm being completely honest, it's not a credit card, it's a debit card because I don't believe in debt. But they but the, the point is that they don't think twice about spending large sums of money of my money because I've instructed them to do it. And it doesn't really affect them because they acknowledge it was never their money to begin with. So they don't care. Sure. We need to focus our behavior like that when following Christ. It doesn't matter if you are laughed at. It doesn't matter if the people that you're talking to don't accept what you think, don't accept what you say. It's not your burden to begin with. Converting people, winning people over to the kingdom is not your burden. It's God's burden. And for you to try to step up and assume that it's your burden is hugely problematic, completely unbiblical, and doesn't serve the kingdom. Your job is to be a witness for Christ, not to be Christ. And there is a difference. And so walking into a room, the first thing that you should, the, the prayer that I give anytime I meet somebody who has a different religious belief, or I think when I look at somebody, I go, that person is not going to make it into the kingdom. And that's a sad thing because I know, I know to my being what it takes to be in the kingdom. And it's a very simple thing, right? Faith, faith of a mustard seed. And being willing to accept Christ. That's not a difficult bar to achieve, per se, for most people. And, and, and then for, some, for other people, it's incredibly difficult. And so when I walk into a room and I, and I encounter those situations where I'm not sure what to say, I, I, the, my first prayer is that, first of all, I try to remind myself it's not my burden to begin with. It's God's burden. And second of all, I try to remind myself that I'm an idiot and I'm a human and I screw everything up, and I, the, 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 whole, the whole conversation that I'm about to have was probably screwed up before I ever walked through the door frame because that's how dumb I am and that's how bad I am at trying to do anything, right? And it's only because God is so powerful and God is so intelligent and God is all-knowing and God has the ability to speak not to somebody's ear but directly to their heart that I don't have to worry about getting it right. I just have to be willing and open to do what God tells me to do. And so... When I, and I, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys that I don't have any burning bushes in my backyard. I don't have any thundering voices in my head. I don't, you know, I don't get texts from God, anything like that. Right. Uh, I don't have visions, but I do believe that God speaks to people and I believe that God speaks to me. And there are times where I have said, also, I, I've said every, I've said every prayer throughout my life from just show me that you exist and tell me what you want me to do all the way through I don't know what to do in this particular situation. Please give me a sign of which direction you want me to go. And I always get an answer. It's not always the answer I wanted. It's not always the answer I thought I would get, but I always feel like I get an answer. And that is, I believe anyway, that's being guided by the Holy Spirit. Some people might call that a gut feeling. I find it kind of disrespectful to refer to the Holy Spirit as gut, but that would be the that would be the that that's kind of how I describe that feeling. It's like I just can feel something isn't right. And the more I pray about it, the more sure I become of that feeling. And the more I think about it and the more I pray about it and the more I read the Bible and try to get an understanding of, of what it is I'm understanding, because one of the things I think we have to be very careful about. This is how you wind up with compounds in the middle of Texas that, you know, have people drinking Kool-Aid. Right. We need to. Yeah. 
we need to listen to when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We also need to constantly, constantly be in the Word and reading our Bible and understanding the actual documentation that God left us so that we can correlate the gut feelings that we have that are the Holy Spirit speaking to us and bad pizza, because there's a difference. And we don't want to be making decisions off a of bad pizza from Thursday night. We want to be making decisions based on what the Holy Spirit tells us. And in, in doing that, what I have learned is that we have far outlearned and outstudied our capacity to love other people. When you walk into a room, some of the most terrified some of the people that people are most terrified on this planet are people that wear a cross around their neck or call themselves Christians. Because to 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 a lot of people, the term Christian means that you are a holier than thou righteous person who's going to walk around with your nose held high, walking into walls talking about how much better you are than everybody else and how everybody else is going to hell. I don't know if you saw the Democratic uh, national debate where Ron, uh, where, uh, Ron Reagan gave a, did an ad for the Freedom From Religious Society and had basically an ad that said, I'm not afraid of going to hell and we need to get religion completely out of government and out of the public eye and all of this. You have a very vocal group of people which I've never really understood, but they exist nonetheless, that are trying to convince another group of people that a God that they don't believe in doesn't exist, right? Which seems like a very backwards thing to me. If there is the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, have you heard of this, Tyler? Oh, I have. I have heard of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Okay, so here's... Very interesting topic. (laughs) how how, How much time have you spent going to the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster and doing outreach to convince them that the Flying Spaghetti Monster doesn't exist? Uh, None unfortunately really really that's that's interesting to me so it's interesting to me that you haven't spent time convincing people a god that you don't believe exists doesn't exist because honestly it's fairly illogical right i believe secretly i guess not so secretly because i'm about to say it into a microphone but i believe yeah (laughs) yeah right i believe that the reason that there is such animosity for christianity and i i believe that the reason that people are so vocal at trying to get in christianity out of the public eye is because there is actually a secret belief that they might be onto something there really actually might be something here and i think they're terrified at how that grips people and how it sucks people in once you experience the love of christ and once you experience the power of god and what his what when you structure your life in such a way that you're following what he laid out for you when you do that and you see what the benefits are it becomes a very powerful thing and it naturally inspires you to want to go to other people and tell them the same thing and go up to them and say hey you know, here's the thing. You're struggling with this whole sleep thing. You're struggling with this whole exhaustion thing and this depression thing. You know what I found is just, you know, you just take a day, one day out of a seven day week, you just set it aside. And, uh, and you, 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 you spend time with family and spend time with God and spend time doing the things that we were meant to do and have a recharge. I just find I feel a lot better. And then all of a sudden we do a bunch of scientific studies. And what we find is that's exactly what a human being needs. A perfect, perfect cycle is about seven. And so if you have seven days and you take one of those days and set it aside, it's the perfect recharge cycle between the rest of the six days, right? Of course, mm. resting all six days makes you lazy, right? So you need there, you have to have a balance there. And it turns out the Bible scientifically has a balance. There is another, this is a, it's a common used expression, right? Mm-hmm. Act a given way and your emotions will start to follow, right? That's something that our parents probably told us, treat your sister nicely, not 
love your sister. Just treat your sister nicely or treat your cousin nicely or treat your, you know, what, whoever it is, the relative. But, but start with a given action and the emotion will follow. This is a biblical principle, and it's something that evolved out of, uh, you know, that the Bible, ha- we people that have been following the Bible have known for years. But just in the last five to ten years, we've actually started doing sociology research and psycho- psychological research and found this to be true. That if you begin down a course of a given path with action, even if you don't believe why you're doing the things that you're doing, You treat people with kindness. You treat people with respect. Even if you feel this guttural instinct to yell at them or scream at them or cuss at them or whatever it is, and you first start by exercising that self-control and guiding, we know now scientifically we can explain the reasons as to why that works and why that actually alters your serotonin levels and causes you to be happier. And because you're happier, you have more patience. And because you have more patience, you start to really love and understand other people. And so now we have the scientific and chemical reasoning for how our physiology works. But what's interesting was we never needed that before because it was all laid out in the Bible. God told us. Jesus set an example of exactly how we should do all of those things. And maybe a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, or three thousand years ago, there was no ability for us to go through and, and, and say exactly scientifically why all of these things were there because we didn't understand the science. And so God wasn't going to explain it to us, so he just told us the parts that we needed to know. And now that we do understand the science— we find that it perfectly aligns, 100% dovetails perfectly with what the Bible tells us to do. And I think the important thing there is for the people that search around looking for, quote-unquote, the proof, right? The proof that God doesn't exist. The proof that God does exist. The proof that the Bible is outdated and, and couldn't possibly have been historically accurate because of this, that, or the other, right? And every time they try to discredit the Bible, we as Christians do what? We back ourselves into a corner. The earth was created in seven days, and we, we fight to the mat to prove that seven 24-hour periods is what it took to create the earth. And we totally ignore the fact that that was never the Genesis message, that the Genesis message was, in, was this incredibly powerful story about how the creator of the universe made all of these things on the earth. And after all of that, he put human beings in charge to reign over all of them. And that is such a responsibility and a blessing to us as humans that we just totally ignore so that we can quibble and fight over how many hours it actually took God to create the earth, which is relevant to what and to what end, I would ask. Is that important? You know, it just isn't what you're supposed to be taking away. I don't think is what you're supposed to be taking away from the Bible. And I would say the same thing to people that, you know, are rule checkers, right? They got the checklists out and he did this. He didn't do this. He did this. He didn't do this. Like. I don't believe that's what the Bible was put on this earth to do. I don't think that was the message that God intended us uh, to follow. Now, the other side of that is what, right? There are going to be those that are going to hear that and go, you know what? That Noah guy, he makes perfect sense. Why does it matter? As long as I love other people, I should be able to go out and look at porn. And I should be able to go out and steal some stuff for time to time. Because I love God and I accept him, so I'm saved in heaven. That makes perfect sense, Noah, right? That is not at all what I'm saying. Because by the same token of uh, that you should live from love and acceptance. The truth is, though, if we truly love other people, that is demonstrated in our actions, right? I don't come home and tell my wife, I love you so much. And then I tell her at nine o'clock, well, seeing you, I'm going out with my other three girlfriends and uh, I'll be back in a little bit, right? Just because I say I love her, maybe I even feel like I love her. If that love is not being outwardly expressed, 
it's going to become very difficult for her to believe that. Now, she's a human being, so she's confined by things like she can only understand things that I'm able to express, whereas God has this other little hidden secret. He understands what our heart actually is. And so to that extent, what I would tell anybody who questions this is it becomes very complicated to try to talk to other people or try to understand other people because you don't know where their heart is. You might know what they outwardly express, but you have no idea what they're going through internally, and God does. And for that very reason, I think it's extraordinarily important that we acknowledge the fact that it is not our place on this earth to judge other people, to, to tell people, hey, you're a person that's going to hell. You're a person that's going to heaven. That's not our place. I don't believe we can know that. I think that there is evidence that we can know that we're on the right track. I think there is perf I think there is um, ample reason to preach that. Hey, if you if you're curious about what God expects from you and what God asks of you and 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 ways that we can demonstrate to God that we love Him and ways that we can take action. Maybe our heart isn't in the right place, but there are actions that we can take. So that we can start to do the, the right things and naturally our heart will follow us as psychology and sociology now tell us there are, I think there's value in, in, in distributing that message, but to, to not mix words, to walk up to your gay friend and tell him, Hey, if you're in a homosexual relationship, you're going to hell. That is unhelpful. That is helpful to no one. And so uh, I guess what I would ask is the, 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 my first, my checklist is this. The first thing I would, I would suggest is pray. If nothing else, pray. Get in touch with God and ask him to soften your heart and guide you. Because again, it's not your burden. It's not your responsibility. It's his responsibility and it's his burden and ultimately his choice. Let him do the work of speaking to the heart and converting and convincing. You just be the tool. You be the good little soldier that does exactly what you're told and follows marching orders. That's how I see my responsibility on this earth. And if we can do that, I think the biggest marching order, the biggest thing that we have, the biggest commandment we have of God is to love other people, right? When somebody needs a meal, when somebody needs to be clothed, when somebody needs a friend, when somebody needs somebody to talk to, when somebody needs somebody else to care about them, to give a crap, we're tasked of being that person. And I'm sure, Tyler, you've heard the song, um, I think it's a Casting Crown song of We Are the Body. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that song. So it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about here, right? If we are actually the body, then why is it when God has a need and his people have a need, these creatures that he created and he loves have a need, why does it always time and a time again go unfulfilled while at the same time there are a bunch of people that are hanging out in the, you know, in the church cafeteria or the church, uh, you know, potluck, hanging out and enjoying each other. And meanwhile, you have this entire group of people that are dying and going to hell. And I, a good friend of mine who maybe you and I will have on the program sometime, he does another, he does another show for uh, uh, a, a podcast, and I've, I've worked with him before. But one of the things is he's a former pastor. And one of the reasons that he left the church was because he went to his church and said, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to start having a movie night, one, of the night, one night a week, and just invite people just to come in and hang out and experience what it's like to be around good solid Christian people and give them a good example of what life through God looks like. Not the Sunday message that people come to learn about God, but understanding how to live day in and day out, 12 hours waking, uh, you know, in Christ. How does, what does that look like? Because let's be honest for both you and me, Tyler, you are a professional welder, right? Yep. And I'm a professional IT guy. Neither one of us are quote unquote professional Christians, but I bet you both of us would agree unequivocally 
that the most important thing to both of us is our faith, right? Yes, absolutely. And so where I get to with that is if I'm supposed to be a Christian first and a really good computer guy second, then why is it I spend all of my time living inside of the computer world and the technical world and fixing people's problems and not spending time and living in the church? And of course, the answer to that is because God commands us to 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 do all things through him and and to ha- and for him to be for all things to be an example of Christ like love. And so I restructure everything from my business to I'm going to help people. Every opportunity I meet, I have an opportunity to witness to those people. And it doesn't have to be in a here's a bible and let me point out this passage of the thing in your life that you're doing wrong because I am religious and smart and I can show you and I have charts mm. and graphs to prove it. It's not that. It's just I'm a nice guy. If I find out somebody's going through a hard time, I sit down and chat with them, and I talk to them, and I exemplify. And Tyler, I know from talking to you, you do the same thing. You have random prayer sessions inside of shopping lines, right? Yep. It's actually really interesting. My uh, my cousin came over the other day, right? And I won't say her name just because I haven't asked to talk about her on the on the show. But it, I told her the gospel. Now this this girl, she is an atheist, right? She is a flat out or, or was was right. So what's interesting is I told her the gospel. Nothing clicked. Nothing happened, right? It, this was about a, probably a year ago, right? And then all of a sudden, one day out of the blue, she texts me and she says, "Tyler, where can I go to church?" I said church? You're an atheist. What are you talking about, church? Like, you're a militant atheist. What are you talking about? You know, and she said, something has happened to me to where I see my need for God, right? And that is where every single person, no, I think that's what you're you're ultimately getting at, right? Mm -hmm. Every single person that who has ever placed their faith in Christ, right? They have realized one thing, and that was, I'm a screw-up. I am a sinner. I have rebelled against the, you know, in the eyes of my God, right? And, and, and we've all hit our knees at that point, begging, you know, asking for forgiveness, right? And it seems like what you're getting at is to, for a person to go from that to the exact opposite and condemn the person, you know, who they're engaging with or who they're speaking with, it's hypocritical because they were in the exact same boat. I would be right. no—I I, I didn't, you know, whenever my, my cousin came over, I didn't tell her about her atheism. She told me she wasn't an atheist right. anymore. I had nothing to do with that. And it's like I rejoiced with her. I didn't condemn. And that's what we're missing in the church today, right? Absolutely. Is instead of rejoicing with our brothers and sisters— over, you know, the the Bible says that the angels rejoice over one sinner, one coming to repentance, right? And and if we can't rejoice in that in those times, and we're so focused on our sin, we miss the entire message. We miss it. You know what's funny about that is I, a part of it just comes from na- it's just a natural human reaction, right? We grow up watching videos in which firemen and TV shows in which firemen race into the burning building and grab the mm. victim and carry them to safety because that's what's best for the victim, right? And doctors take the patient and put them on a table and stick needles and cut them open and do all sorts of things because that's what's best for the patient. And policemen go and arrest the bad guys and put them in jail because that's what's best for the people, right? At no time do we ever ask the burning victim if they would like to be saved 
from the fire if they would like to just stay there and burn. At no time do we ever ask the patient, do they want to be cut open and saved or do they want to just be left to die in the street? At no point do we ever ask the criminal if they want to just be left to steal and, and, and rob from people. Uh, it, we just assume that they want to be. And so the problem that that creates is, and again, not to not to bring you up like the seventh week in a row to back, back to free will, but the problem that that mm. creates with us as humans is we don't understand a God that wants the best thing for us, that wants us to be taken out of the burning building, wants us to be cut open. And yes, there is some pain involved, but at the end, it saves our life, wants the criminal to be put in jail and the people who live peacefully to be free. A God who wants all of those things, but is absolutely willing to let you live whatever life it is that you want to live if you choose not to accept him as your savior. That is such a hard thing for us to comprehend as human beings that our natural reaction is what? That person's an atheist? Well, that's not the right way to do things, so we have to change that. How do we do that? Well, we sit them down and we explain to them, like we explain math and science and English, that right, they're wrong, not at all. and mm-hmm. they've got to change. Like, that's what they have to do. They can't, we can't, we can't leave people in a burning building to die. We have to take them out of there. Well, they don't want to go. Doesn't matter. We have to. That you know, That's what I think our natural human reaction is, and I think it's our natural human confusion to the fact that this is one of those this is one of those things that we have to accept. There are people that are allowed to make bad decisions, horrible decisions, decisions that are going to eternally separate them from us. And there's nothing we can do about it because we are not that powerful. We are just human beings. And it takes a God, it takes a Holy Spirit to change that person's heart. And so what you did in your example was not mm-hmm. to point out sin, not to tell that person how how bad hell is going to be if they don't change their life. You just were there as a tool when God needed you. God did she all. She knew. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, God did all the hard work by opening her heart. You were just available. Mm. You were just available mm-hmm. for, so that she had somebody. She had a safe refuge. She had a soft landing spot when she needed to come there. And I tell you what, Tyler, I have to be honest with you. I have walked through this journey enough times with other people that I don't believe the church is a soft landing spot for people. I think it's a really rough proposition. I think it's a really big ask to take somebody who has lived a very sinful lifestyle and ask them to walk through the doors of a church today. Mm-hmm. I think it is. I think wow. if you struggle with, I think if you're in a homosexual relationship, and I'm just making something up, you're in a homosexual relationship, and you you believed in Islam, and you are addicted to pornography, and you have a gambling habit, and you eat to excess, and you have promiscuous sex, and you swear a lot, I think you're probably the most uncomfortable person on the face of the planet inside of a church. And what's funny about that is you're the very person to, as to why the church body exists in the first place, right? You should be like the front row seat of, hey, nobody else in the world accepts you. Nobody else in the world loves you. Nobody else in the world cares about you. This is the one place you can come where you can count on everybody treating you with respect Everybody's showing you a loving hand because we didn't deserve love. We didn't deserve grace. And our creator came down to this earth, suffered an excruciating death and went through unimaginable torture so that he could save the lives of people who are otherwise completely and totally worthless. If he was willing to do that for us, we are more than willing to feed you a meal, put our arm around you and say, hey, welcome come in, hang out. Don't worry about anything because we're not here to judge you. We're just here to, to be a friend and to love on you. If we because could get the exact same thing that happened to them happened to us. I do. I do want to go to scripture. We, yeah, we please. Yeah, yeah. Left. <laughs> do, do, can we, can, do you want to do yes. a little? No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, no, you oh, go ahead. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, so I do want to I do want to go to scripture real quick. Um, in First Corinthians, right? In, in oh, let's see, sorry, First Corinthians six, nine. It says, "Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Paul says, "Do not be deceived, right? Do not understand these things, comprehend these things. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexual homosexuality, sorry." nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, know, but I think I just nailed every single person that's listening right now. Absolutely. I really think, because we have all, we all, including myself, including you, I nailed myself down in that category with multiple different ones, you know, uh, um, the, of those quote-unquote attributes. Dude, I sped on the way over to the studio today. I mean, yeah, right, absolutely, right. yeah. Right, right. So the very next verse says, and such were some of you, right? But then he goes on, but you were washed, you were sanctified or set aside for those who don't know what sanctification is, set aside, you were justified, declared righteous in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God, right? And every single one of us has been in that situation. So for us to condemn what we were condemned for is hypocrisy, right? I'm not yes. saying that we don't point sin out, but it's it, that is the law's job. Romans 3.19 says the whole world becomes guilty. Why? Because when we look at the law, we see our sinfulness. That's why the law can never justify anybody. That's why the law can never sanctify anybody and ultimately save people is because the law was meant to condemn us, right? We can't follow it. Mm. It's impossible and and, and 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 what's really interesting, I, I do want to go to Matthew um, for and just to connect everything what we've been saying. Mm-hmm. It, what what you talked about is is exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew fifteen, and, and I'm just going to read it. The Pharisees and scribes. Now now listen to this. This is crazy. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, "Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders?" Tradition is the big key word here, right? Mm-hmm. He, and and then they, they go on. For they do not wash their hands when they eat. What? They're, these Pharisees are getting onto these guys because they don't wash their hands, right? So Jesus goes. He answered them. He said, "And why do you?" break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. Mm -hmm. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, you Pharisees, if anyone tells his father or mother, well, what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And he says it, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, in vain, without purpose, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called to the people and he said to them, hear and understand. Now this is Jesus's answer to what this whole conversation has been. This is his answer. It says in verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you heard this saying, or when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my father has not planted will be rooted up. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. That's what was happening there. They, the Pharisees were leading their followers into a pit, Jesus says, right? 
And then he goes on. But Peter said to him, please explain the parable. So now Jesus is going to give the interpretation. Are you still without understanding, Peter? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, food, passes through the stomach and is expelled? He says, but what comes out of the mouth? Listen, proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Remember that list? It was the same list Paul just went through that said that we all are these things, right? Mm -hmm. These are what defile a person, Jesus says. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is why we need so desperately, and you nailed it whenever you said the Holy Spirit changes the heart. We need that heart change so desperately so we can do these things right so we can actually love what does jesus say he says if you love me what you will keep my commandments not out of a sense of i got to keep these commandments or i'm going to die somehow no, right. no 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 we have been saved to do what love mm-hmm. that is the big thing paul says it in first corinthians uh and this and then i'll, I'll kind of wrap up with this the way of love. He says this. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm just a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. Right. And if I have prophetic powers, and listen, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I have all the doctrines figured out. I have all knowledge figured out. What does he say? And if, or I'm sorry. I lost my place. Uh, mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all the faith in the world so as to move mountains, but do not have love, what does he say? I am Nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I am willing to be sacrificed yeah. to be to, to die, yep. but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And then he goes and describes what love is. Patient, kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And then he says, love never ends. The point of the story is, if you do not have love, if you are not willing to do what Christ did, lay his life down, right? You are nothing. You are absolutely nothing. And your religion doesn't matter at that point. Religion mm-hmm. never saved anybody. That's right. God is the one who saves. God is the one who changes. You said it. God does all the heavy lifting. He changes us. He He gives us these desires that we, you know, that, that we have. We, we never had these desires before. Why do I want to serve God? Why do I want to worship him? Why do I want to love him now? Why do I hate my sin? God changed me, and he, he changes people, and that's the point, right? No matter, so if for anybody listening, th- th- there is no excuse. You are not too bad. You are not too sinful for God to save you. Why? God can do whatever he pleases, right? That's right. And that should cause us to rejoice. That's exactly right. Rejoice and re- rather than being terrified, right? Like, yes, yes, God can be a very powerful creature, but the thing is, his love is the most important thing to us. And I think what's important here is, and, and you, were, you were kind of alluding down to this, I'll just say it a little bit more concisely, is yeah. people want to say, people walk around with this idea that love should have outside evidence. If you actually loved God, then, right? Love should have outside influ- er, evidence. That's how we as humans yeah, perceive it. Well, here, here is the truth. Love will have outside right. evidence, right? If you leave it alone and you don't screw the thing up, naturally, at some point, 
you will start to see the outside evidence of love for Christ. The thing is, you cannot force a person to love any other person or any God. That is a natural relationship-building thing that must occur only between God and the sinner. Full stop, no exceptions. So anytime you have—my suggestion to anybody was anytime you walk around this earth— and you come across somebody where you look at that person and say, well, there's no outside evidence of them loving God. I should do something about that. The very first question you should ask is, are you bringing any information to them that they're not already aware of? Because there's a big difference between somebody between you, Tyler, coming to me and saying, hey, Noah, there's this verse that I, was, I just I was reading through the Bible the other day. And I came across this and I understand where you're coming from and it kind of makes sense. But I just can't quite reconcile. How, how do you get around this particular thing? Right? And you and I have had that discussion more times than I care to count. And you've said, hey, and I have to challenge myself and go, well, I believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority. So either I have to choose to find scripture to support my belief or I have to alter my belief because I believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority. And what Tyler is saying makes a lot of sense to me. It's logical to me. And it is found in the Bible. That's how that's how that process works. Now, over time. My hope, and I'm sure your hope is, that as I, as, I, as, I, as I go through that process and start by saying, okay, I'm just going to follow what God tells me to follow, eventually my heart will be softened and I will start to really gutturally adopt and internalize those beliefs. But there's nothing you can do to force that on me. There's nothing I can do to force that on myself. That's just a natural process that God and the Holy Spirit have to unfold. And that's what I would encourage everybody else to do. If you find something where you think there's a beam in somebody else's eye— Hold off for a second and make sure first they aren't already aware of it. Second of all, make sure that they're, they, they aren't aware of whatever scripture you're going to quote and they just interpret it differently or have a different belief system or whatever it is. Let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. You just be willing to be the tool. So when that person comes to you and says, hey, you know, I was thinking about that this thing that I read in the Bible or whatever, they have an answer. And that's, I guess, kind of where I'd wrap up the discussion, where I'd kind of leave that. And I, 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 I'm kind of looking up something. I was hoping he was going to go for uh, <laughs> like five more seconds. But, um, but, but, okay, so for anyone, I, I don't remember where it's at. I was trying to look it up off the top of my head. Um, but for, so I would say also for anyone listening, is how, how much time do we have, Noah? I don't even know. Like 30 seconds. Oh, okay. So for anyone listening, if you think this is too hard, like, well, I, I don't know. You know, this sounds so crazy. Like, I don't know if I could do this. Trust God. And in that moment, right, the Bible says that God actually gives us a new nature. All those who are in Christ are new. We are created new. We have a new nature within us. And slowly but surely, like Noah just said, you will want and start desiring. And then all of a sudden, you know, like the inter or the um, uh, the story that he gave a while ago, you will find yourself doing these things out of love rather than obedience and you know, and a, and a, in a sense I, of have to. I realized actually we have two minutes and thirty seconds, so you got some. If you, oh, if you do want to look something up, uh, okay, yeah, let me. Yeah, you look something up. Ahead, so, 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 and essentially, what where where I get to with this is if we if I can inspire and I can help to inspire, or I can at least get you to think about a community of love in something that is inspired by love, not out of correction, not out of belt notching. And that's one thing, again, we as humans struggle with because we are rewarded for achievement on this earth, right? You get a job promotion. When you complete a series of tasks or when you get enough people with salespeople, you know, and we and I hire them. So I understand this. They get rewarded when they get numbers on paper. I converted these many people to Alta Speed Technologies and that is rewarded with a paycheck. Right. And so that's how we're taught to deal with things in society. And the truth is 
the burden from us is removed and that becomes God's responsibility. But the positive side of that is we don't have to worry about the responsibility of it. What we have to worry about is being a good example of Christ, never compromising on values and loving people well. And I think we would all do well to try to concentrate on doing that, inviting people in and not worrying about the the checklists, but instead worrying about actually loving on people and bringing them in and making them feel welcome and included and understood and and cared about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, just to wrap up, um, what what we're all getting at is this, is 1 Corinthians 5, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, from now on, therefore, we, and this, this applies to the whole conversation, we Christians regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Believe in Christ. Repent of your sins. Believe in Christ. And he will change you from the inside out. Hey, guys, it was a great episode. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with the Complete Sinners Guide. Visit us online at completesinners.com. We'll see you next week.